This talk is given by Vanessa Zvise Goddard, a writer and lay Zen teacher based in New York City. This talk, like all of Zvise's talks, is offered freely. If you'd like to make a donation, find out more about Zvise's teachings, or sign up for her newsletter, please visit her website at vanessasvisegoddard.org. Thanks for listening. First, I want to acknowledge how uh, precarious it is to be a human being. And I've said this before, uh, but I just want to say this again. Um, how precarious it is just to be in this body and to be in this mind and, and to have it uh, remain in balance, but also how precarious it is to live in this world. And perhaps now more than ever, as we see everything that is going on in the planet. And so transitions I find are mm, this kind of this liminal space where I think we feel, we, or, or we have the potential to feel that vulnerability a little more or a little more keenly. And so I wanted to, to talk about this. Um, I, I, I wanted to start by, by sharing a story. And some of you know this story and um, hopefully some of you don't. And, and it, it, it begins like this. At the end of the world, a bricklayer stands at the edge of the ocean, looking out into the sea, where beyond the edge of what he can see, he can sense is another land that will save him. And up in the town, the weepers are weeping for the end of the world and feeling the, and seeing, recognizing the pointlessness of things, they decide to get rid of everything. And they spend all their time chanting and singing and prostrating, waiting for the end of the world and waiting for their transcendence. The ragers also understand the futility of things but their approach is to destroy. And so they go down and they burn all the fields. They kill all the animals. They cut all the flowers. They destroy anything that wouldn't be destroyed quickly, naturally. And they are just partying as they wait for the end of the world. The bricklayer chooses to do neither. And he decides he's going to find a way into the unknown. And so first, because it's the only thing he, he, he knows, he, he, he doesn't know how to swim. He doesn't know how to cross the ocean, though he has dreamt that he will, that he will cross it. And so first he gets his wheelbarrow and he throws it, he kind of pushes it into the ocean and it floats. But the moment he puts even a little bit of weight on it, the whole thing sinks. And so then he goes back up and he loads his wheelbarrow with a bunch of bricks, which he has made himself. And he takes it down to the bottom of 
the, the hill right to the edge of the ocean. And he builds this canoe of bricks. And with a lot of effort, he just like pushes it into the water and it immediately turns over and it fills with water. He empties it, it fills with water again, and then a wave comes and just smashes the whole thing into bits. And then he thinks to himself, I'm not a floater, I'm a builder. Remember this. He goes back up, gets another load of bricks, brings them down to the edge of the ocean. And then he lays two steel rods all the way down on the depths, so on the sand. And then he, be he begins taking brick by brick and he dives down, which he does not know how to do. So he's learning as he's doing it. And he takes a brick and he places it. And then he, he can't obviously use mortar or anything underneath the water. And so he's just placing the bricks snug against one another to make this path. And he's stepping on the path as he lays another brick and he steps on it and then he lays another brick. And days go by and weeks go by like this as the weather turns from March into April, the weather begins to get a little warmer. And at this point, he's learned how to float, how to dive, how to hold his breath underwater as he continues to build his path. But now as he's getting to the end, as far as he can go, he's also running out of bricks. And one day he's standing at the edge of the ocean and he sees there's about 120 feet worth of path and thousands upon thousands of miles in front of him. And he has no idea what he's going to do next. But for days now, everything has been completely quiet. And he realizes everybody is gone. He doesn't know where they've gone. And he begins to wonder, is this it? Is this the end of the world? And the only thing that responds is silence. And so he decides tomorrow, tomorrow I go. He wakes up very early, the crack of dawn, and he packs just a couple of things, the last few pieces of stale bread he has, he puts it in a bundle, he ties it onto his back and he wades out into the water, you know, walking on his path. And the beginning, you know, it just, it goes down to his waist and he keeps walking and then it goes all the way up to his neck and then it goes all the way up almost to his um, nose. So he's just barely looking above the surface of the water and he gets all the way to the very edge of the path and he can't step any further and he has no more bricks but he knows he cannot go back because there is no other path back there there is no other way and so he takes a deep breath he waits for a moment and he's still watching all the way to the end of the horizon to see if there's something that he can see. And it seems like the whole world is holding its breath. And then he takes the next step. And there is actually 
at what happens next. But as I always say, I'm not gonna tell you what that is. It's not my story. It's Ursula Le Guin and it's called Things. So you can look it up. But this is exactly what transition feels to me. I cannot tell what is in front of me, but I know I have to step. And the image that I've added for myself is that I actually have the bricks with me in my pockets. And they are the skillful means, you know, the tools that I have learned over time, particularly from Buddhism, but not exclusively. And so when I think I've run out of bricks, I just have to look, I just have to go a little deeper and pull another one out and lay it out in front. And then I take that step. And then I think I have nowhere to go. And there's this moment still of anxiety. There's this moment of fear, the fear of disappearing, fear of dying, fear of not being able to take that next step, fear of failing. But if I can get myself quiet enough, I remember, oh, I have another brick. And then I pull that one out and then I lay it in front of me and I take another step. And just as that famous song, the poem says, that path is made by my walking. And although I want to know where it will end because it would make me feel safer, now I realize I can't, I can't, I have to make that path through my own walking. And so I have to trust that I will know where to step, where to place that brick. And that if I don't know that I will place it and then I'll figure, then I'll see whether it was right or whether it needs to be adjusted. I trust that I won't just step off into the void and will drown. Although at times it has felt almost like it. And so I suppose that it is a faith. It is a kind of faith. And that's actually all I want to say for now. And so let me open it up for you. Let me just add transition of any size. I'm thinking both of a, of a true life change and also those in-between moments going from here to there. Because I think, although the scope is very different, what happens in them is actually very similar. So I want to look at that, at, the, at these liminal spaces, as I said, this in-between. Yes, Rachel, so good to see you again. Welcome. Hey, uh, it's so good to be here. I needed that story. I'm going to look it up, Ursula Le Guin. Um, 
I needed that. I was on the edge of my cushion. Um, I wrote down the edge of the path. I viscerally relate to that story. Um, and I've been moving through so much fear in my life around transition. Um, and I actually said to a friend the other night, I was describing all of the change I'm going through and, and it's a newer friend. So he had no real context and trying to summarize it, I said, it's like, I'm not the old thing anymore, but I'm not the new thing yet either. And I actually said, I'm in the liminal space. Um, and it's so disorienting. It's like my old life is, is like just a ghost and I have no idea what my new life is and it, I'm suspended. Um, and I actually have been praying um, and, and laughing because I feel like I'm hurtling forward and making a crash landing and it's just out of my control almost. But um, I think that's all I have to say. I'm, I'm just excited to hear everyone's shares about transition. And I really, really appreciated that story. Thank you. I think what you said is exactly right. Um, I'm not the old self, but I'm not the new. I don't know what the new one is yet. And it's exactly in that mystery that there is so much possibility, but it can also, of course, cause so much anxiety. So how do we make the most of the mystery and not get swallowed up by the anxiety? Yes, Jess. aspect of that story that I appreciate so much is early in it when the bricklayer um, realizes that what he knows how to do is lay bricks um, and not other things. I was listening a few days ago, I don't know if anyone else was listening to this, but um, to the Zen Mountain Monastery podcast and um, Shohaku Okumura, who is a scholar of Dogen and a translator um, of Dogen was talking about various things. One thing he kept saying though, over and over again was the only way that I can tell this to you is as a Japanese person. The only way that I can, uh, that I can realize myself or teach anything and offer it to you is because, and then he listed all of these things because I was born in Japan and taught by this person and became a Zen priest and all of these things. And he kept saying this for like 15 minutes. I was like, why does he keep saying this? And then it seeped into me that if you're a bricklayer and you build a brick canoe, you won't get anywhere. But if you're a bricklayer and you build a brick path, because that's what you know how to do, then you can do something. <laughs> to not fight with your nature, to realize that your only self in this moment is this self, that your only tools are the tools that you have and the particularity of this self that you are and that you won't find any way other than through this one right now. And that was very liberating to hear that. <laughs> and in this story also, same thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. To, to not fight your own nature. And think about how much of self-doubt 
and how much of that anxiety that we feel comes from exactly that. Not trusting that, that and here I'm speaking of nature as uh, in, a, in a relative sense, like I'm a builder as opposed to a floater, as opposed to um, uh, a cook, as opposed to a bread maker, etc. cetera. Uh, I'm, I'm who I am with a particular skills and well, let's call them skills, you know, that I have, and they are enough to meet the challenge in front of me. And it's when I begin to doubt that, that what can be an already challenging thing becomes even more complicated. So how do you know first what your nature is? And then how do you trust it? Yes, Nina. I think the, um, the question that arose for me is this the word faith that you used. And I've often thought about that in context of Buddhist practice. And it's not the same as faith, perhaps, in other traditions. Um, and I was just thinking about my life and these transition times. And there have been times when, like the bricklayer, I have the faith and I know who I am, I mean, <laughs> in that moment. And so I proceed towards a horizon, you know, that's uncertain, but I, but I take each step forward. And then there's the other kind of <coughs> transition, which is when you're totally unmoored, groundlessness, sudden loss, death, and, and you don't trust yourself, or I, at least I don't. And I, I don't know which nature is the nature to place my trust in. And I, I wondered if you could just say a few words about faith and cultivating faith or regaining trust when the self is, you know, in that, in that bardo kind of, either because you've lost the social context or a person or, yeah. Just how do we cultivate, I think it, how do we cultivate faith when we don't have it? Um, I think of faith as um, a trust in something larger than myself. Larger, mm, you know, more vast and more, uh, I guess, steadier, right? Than, than, than the me that is born and is going to die. 
that gets insecure or gets mm, swept, you know, by the various winds of life. And so whether it is a faith or a trust in God or uh, trust in the three treasures, you know, and, and in my own capacity to, to access and, and manifest even a little bit of my own Buddha nature, you know, my own perfection. It is, I, I find a way to be in conversation with that aspect of myself. So, um, you know, because I do actually, I do believe in God, I do still pray, especially when I am unsure, when I am unsure about where to lay that next brick. And I also take refuge. I take refuge every day. You know, when I do my vows, I take refuge in the three treasures, which as we've talked about, you know, Buddha is, is you know, the teacher, but also that wisdom, which is in me. Dharma is truth, reality. So taking refuge and moving towards seeing what truth really is unimpeded and taking refuge in the, my community of friends who, when I think I can do it, they show me that I can. Friends of different kinds. And so, um, so I guess in those moments, I, this is not a great way of saying it, but I, I do come out of myself to reach towards something else, which is not else, <laughs> but something larger, as I said. Is that, is that clear? And if that's not there, so if you don't have that relationship to God or to the three treasures, in this case of Buddhism, or that trust in your original perfection, then that's the first step. It needs to be developed. If you think that this is all there is and that this is all there is, then it could be a little tricky because what do you put your trust in when all of this is so transient? You know, when I speak of, of the one, the necessary thing, it's that thing that you can rely on. So what do we rely on? I guess that's the first question. And it's a good thing to ask yourself when things are going well. So that when things are not, you can turn to that thing. You can remember. Did you want to say anything more? Um, I think when I said I when you don't have faith, um, I didn't mean that I don't have a faith or, you know, that I haven't had that, but. Uh, oh, I didn't mean you specifically. No, no, I know, I know you didn't. I didn't, I, I was just, um, that I too will, you know, reach out, sort of come out, as you said. And then there's that, taking refuge and <laughs> sometimes I find myself going to something, you know, for safety, like reaching out to oh, that person or, you know, that, and, and I say false refuge, like that, don't, yeah. don't go there. I sort of say it as a little mantra, you know, and I think it's when you get, when you lose the trust, in yourself, in, in your own instincts or self preservation, protection. It's, I think that's, that's what I meant that, you know, how do you, 
get that back by think by consistency of practice by taking refuge. Um, yeah, just. Yes, I think, um, you know, speaking from, from my own experience in those moments when I doubt myself, uh, there, there is a sense that there's something I'm not seeing. And so, so in a sense, handing over or, um, you know, I speak often of that, that ground of being which I think of really as that ground that the bricklayer is laying his bricks on. That's steady. That's steady, regardless of what's happening on the surface. That's firm ground. So I, I continue to find ways to remember I'm standing on that ground, even when it feels like I'm falling. And I do that through liturgy, through prayer, through zazen. Um, it's getting out of my head where the self-doubt is, is fueled by thought and, and, and finding that, that deeper practice, that deeper connection to the thing that is not, um, it's not that it's not changing, but that is stable, that is grounded. Um, Brian, I know you had your hand up, but, but let me just, uh, Jitsuko. Oh, I was wondering, um... So one time I sat on the shore of the beach and then I was with some people I didn't know at all, really. And so I was just sort of yammering to them, just chat, chat, chat. And they were kind of like, didn't want to hear me chatting. And I, I was just thinking of like, how can I keep chatting? And then um, I was like, you know what? I don't need to chat anymore. So I stopped chatting. I mean, there was nobody there at that point. I was just sitting there alone. I just kind of like was like, I guess I can just stop chatting now. And then I stopped chatting. And then I looked around and I was like, oh, my gosh, like there's nothing else. And then I had the sense that like if I die, like this is all there's going to be. And then I was thinking like, um. When I die, is my consciousness, is, that, is it just going to be like me? Like, I don't know. I feel like there's a place that there is no transitions. I felt like I, I felt like I was there. It was like, there's no other shore than this. And then I just felt like um, if I was just going to stay in that mindset and then if there was just not going to be more transitions. Is that heaven? Like, what is this heaven? I don't know. Um, you just is there a place the where? Sorry, and yeah. <laughs> and I'm still trying to find my footing. Um, let me let me address the 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 thing that I think I can respond to. Um, the other shore, Prashna Paramita, the wisdom of the other shore. When you see what it is, you realize, yes, there's, there's no other shore. There's just one shore. But you don't, you, you have to see it, you know, just as, just as to say that you're already a perfectly um, realized, perfectly complete Buddha, 
I mean, it's, it's nice for me to say it, but you have to see that, right? In order to be able to use it in your life. So, so when you see it, the shore, uh, I think there was somebody who used the image, the shore comes towards you. There's nothing you need to do. It, it doesn't even come. It just, it's just there. There's just one shore. Is that heaven? I, I don't know. I mean, a Buddhist kind of heaven, I guess. Brian? <clears throat> Excuse me. There's, there's something that I want to say about uh, faith and um, sort of scratching out what Nina was expressing. And, and then we say, you said you wanted part of your, your response was about um, practicing. I, don't, I forget what the term you use, practicing when things are good or practicing when things are stable. And, you know, I, I, I guess I kind of feel like you know, we have abundant, we have an abundant amount of faith every day, all the time, in the way that we really, we, we rarely know when life is going to take a sideways turn or when a transition is going to begin. And right, so right up to that moment, we've been living on faith. You know, we're living on faith every, every morning I wake up, you know, and get up and do my stuff that I do in the morning and go to work. I'm, I'm living on faith that that all is going to occur in place. So, so I, I really, I really do feel like, and this really relates to kind of all of why we practice, maybe why we don't stop practicing, why we practice no matter what is happening in our life. It's, it's to maybe, maybe so that when we're less challenged by things, we can remember that we're always in transition, that there is rarely security. Maybe there's never secure security or, you know, that things are always groundless. Um, anyway, I'm going to shift from that because I did want to share and maybe get some thoughts on, you know, how, how I deal with transitions um, and the, the, the challenge for me it, with transitions and like um, as we say, and like Rachel, um, been big transitional part of, my life right now and and for me the challenge is to stay awake because i'm very practical and so it's like okay what do i do next you know can i make a to-do list and then can i just carry out these things and so you know that's helpful in a lot of ways and it relieves some stress it gets the tasks done but it also i can sort of bypass whatever what's happening in here you know by by being so practically oriented so i'd appreciate anyone's thoughts on sort of you know, staying awake during transitions and really, really, yeah, being present and being with all that that happens inside during our transitions. Mm -hmm. If I could say, you know, as, as people, um, you know, jump in, I, it, it's part of the reason why I like that phrase where the bricklayer says, I'm a builder, I'm not a floater. Um, I think of how we so often float through transitions. You know, even as you think of, you know, when I was living at the monastery, walking from one building to the other, walking from the office to the meditation hall. And that transition, which took, you know, maybe five minutes or so, how it was so easy to fall asleep, just kind of float 
hazily through it because I finished work and now I'm getting to the thing I want to do, which is the meditation. But the getting there, ah, you know, whatever. And if you add up all those moments, I mean, you end up probably with a few years of your life <laughs> that are, you're just kind of throwing out the window as, as in transition. And, and, and that we don't even realize that that is so often how we're seeing it. When I get to this part, everything will be okay. This is just an in-between. And again, this is, you know, whether it's the walk from this building to that building or the transition of, you know, I was, I was even thinking, you know, if I'm going to Mexico, well, that's just the transition until I get to the thing where I'm going to, you know, root myself and then begin the next thing. The next thing is the next thing, is the whole thing. Packing my stuff is the whole thing. Going to Mexico is the whole thing. What happens next, which I don't know, have no idea at this point, is the whole thing. And if I can live that way, then there's one, a lot less anxiety. But more importantly, I'm actually in my life. Not just waiting for the time where now I'm going to have arrived. So, but that's still, you know, your question still stands. How do we work with that, with those liminal spaces, periods? And please feel free if you haven't spoken, Nancy or Marguerite or Heather. Yeah, go ahead, Marguerite. Well, I listened to the talk that just mentioned Mm -hmm. And my, my feeling was so, I was like, what a relief. I can be me. I'm going to get through this being me. I don't have to, what am I looking for that I got to be somebody else? It was like, <laughs> and I just, re, I just felt relief. It was, it was an amazing thing. And then I, I thought, okay, no, <laughs> who are you? But um, what I, I did want to say about the transitions, I've had so many because I'm, older than most of you and i've had and i made it i've made it but i did the things that you mentioned suisa i've turned to prayer i've turned to others i i want to think i can do it without that but i i think i can't i think i'm going to go with that because you're going to be my other you know i'm going to i'm still going to have a friend right here helping me so i i'm not gonna not i'm going to still be using those tools that helped me to then, you know, know my way, help me or stay on my way. And I've had some really shocking kinds of experiences. And I believe in the, uh, well, I don't believe it's obvious that um, everything changes. So I think, okay, as much as this is awful, it's going to change. I don't know how, but it's going to change. So that, that also helps me. And I feel it a lot. I have to say that, Brian, I make lists and I, but I, I do get into the feeling of, of the, uh, of the problem or of the angst. Um, and then I, you know, turn to something to get out of it. Can, uh, I, can I ask Marguerite? So, so the angst, what is it about? It's a problem. It's about not trusting myself. And I, it's about what if, what if I can't do this alone? Like, you, I mean, 
I want to know my original perfection. Do I believe I have original perfection? If you tell me enough times, I might believe it. But I, that's what I'm kind of looking for, the clarity on my original perfection. And so I can trust it. Well, Marguerite, you have your original perfection. Um, but then practically speaking, in those moments of not trusting, I'm just trying to kind of hone in on what the anxiety is about. So you said not trusting, but not trusting what? And if anybody else wants to jump in, so in a moment of anxiety, things are changing, things are shifting, but we're Buddhist. We know things change, things shift. So what's the anxiety about? Some sort of fear about not being able to make it, of having to stay in it. Oh my God, I'm going to stay in this. I know it's going to change. It always has. But right now it's horrible and I don't want it. So staying with it and no, and I just can't get out of it fast enough. Okay. So, so basically just the, the discomfort, the pain, the discomfort of being in that difficult situation. Mm -hmm. uh, Rachel, hold on one second. I think Heather had her hand up. You sure? Well, we'll come back. Yes, go ahead, Rachel. Oh, I, I wanted to um, tag along with what Marguerite was saying and and say uh, yes. And for me, I think the, the the question like, well, what is anxiety? I think I think it's like not wanting to live in it, like like almost like <gasps> like avoiding living in it, so that it prolongs it, <laughs> um, and I don't step fully into it, and therefore, yeah. Okay, so, and that's very natural. You know, nobody wants to live in discomfort. And so, how do you do it? Looks like, okay, go ahead, Norm. So how do you do, how do you do it? How do you get out of feeling anxious? How do you, sure. Is that it? Uh, I guess the, the, the question is, you're in a situation, it's making you anxious. But if, if, I, if I may use the example that you had some weeks ago, you, something seems to be going on, you go to the doctor and they, they think you might have this or that illness, but you don't know yet, right? So now you have to sit with yourself in the anxiety of that. As a practitioner, what do you do about it? Well, what I did about it was that I was stuck in it for a couple of days, I couldn't see any way out. I wasn't even thinking about getting a way out. And then um, that kind of anxiety always shifts for me when I sit. You know, I sit, I presence myself, 
I might have my attention on my breathing. Sometimes I just gaze out into the forest and presence myself with that. That's so that's how I handle it. Okay. So it's all sitting. So you presence yourself. That's that's a nice way of putting it. Um, I'm I'm fishing for the obvious, but I want it just to be stated. So how's that different? And this can be anybody can respond. How's that different from from the anxiety? What's happening in the anxiety? Yes, Heather. Um, for me, the anxiety is always about the future. It's the anticipation, the dread of something to come, and the fear that I won't be okay. And um, my practice is to, um, to notice that I'm okay right now. And most of the time I am. So to just sort of stand on the brick that I have under my feet right now and, and maybe place one more, but not try to go beyond that. So given that we know this, given that every single teacher that you can think of, every single self-help book that you can think of is saying, just be present, just be here now, just he, he, now is all you have. There's only the now, like Cartoli says. Why is it so difficult to do? Why are we even still talking about it? Nancy, yeah, go ahead. I think it's helpful to remember that, that essentially we are animals and that there are, is part of us that is, um, has that animal reactivity and, and to be, um, understand that and, um, and gentle that uh, because it really is how our brain in our neuro makeup is. Right. Right. And this, the, the, those whole studies that they've done, and, you know, now with the amygdala, and, you know, they're even teaching that to kids. Um, so I think that's a, exactly, that's a, that's a very good point. There's, we, we are built, you know, to survive. And, you know, the fight or flight response or freeze is, of course, real. And so part of it is, you've heard this many times before, it's just slowing the process down so that you can be standing on that one brick, right? Not get ahead of yourself. And it's interesting, I, you know, I wonder if animals, you know, experience anxiety in the same way, you know, anxiety about the future, I guess. Well, I don't know. I don't know if they do. Jitsuko? Um, well, I mean, I was just thinking about they're learning about trees and um, like with trees, there's not, they used to think, oh, there's like the high tree and it's getting all the nutrients and it's blocking out the sun from these low trees. And it's like, they're fighting for the sun and everything. And then they found out, oh, there's all this network underground. They're all sharing the nutrients and they're passing nutrients back and forth. And so actually there's not any of that that fighting going on there's actually not that fighting going on um 
And so I don't know. I, I spent a lot of time with animals. I grew up on a farm. And I mean, I don't really know what they think, but they're nonverbal in a way. And I think that that nonverbal place is a really important um, space to go to. And then I guess when I get really nonverbal, um, I realize I'm always like on everything. It's all one transition, you know. But one thing that helps is like <laughs> I spent I spent all the pandemic ranging and rearranging art on my wall on this app, and I finally, finally, finally got it put up. But while I was putting it up, I was just remembering like it's gonna be time to move pretty soon. <laughs> so every time I get my nest a little bit more nestier, I always oh pretty soon you're gonna be moving. I guess that that kind of maybe helps but um i think there's a place where there's no transition or there's always transition yes and what what is that place as we say don't ask me that <laughs> why not i mean it's just it's just like that's it's that nonverbal space. I spent a lot of time with my cousin this weekend and she's always she has a baby. She's always talking to the baby and I wonder why the baby can't go to sleep at night. And I mean, maybe sometimes the baby just doesn't want to be talked to. And so it's just that nonverbal space. I don't know. I'm sorry, as we say, I'm just off on another planet right now. No, 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 no. You don't need to apologize because you, you yes, you have something in the way when you, when you said, you know, nonverbal, there is a reason we sit in silence for, for a while, you know, later you begin to add a little bit of content, you know, to Zazen, but how do you hold that, even that, so that the mind doesn't move? There is a reason. There's such an emphasis on the stillness and silence. So yeah, you have something there. All right, anybody else just to wrap up? Yes, Andrew. Um, I was just thinking, we were talking some biology examples and even like we've discovered that trees sharing nutrients and it seems all good, but even things that we still might see as having a negative impact from the start, there's this like, there was this kind of this forest that had a like parasitic fungi that took over and you could say, okay, like that's bad for the trees because the fungi is going to kill them all. And so, what they saw was that it would take over the forest and kind of like kill a lot of trees and decompose them and level them. But every time, because it was doing that, it returned the nutrients to the soil and the, tr the forest was able to grow back and like usually, I guess, stronger and like reinvigorated than it was before. And so the fact that the like anxiety is kind of perceiving it as something negative where you are now, but like you kind of forget the bigger context is that like there will, like there always is some other side and that the like that change, the fact that there is change is 
like stability in a sense because that's like that is a constant like constant is change i guess so i guess that's those that yeah. mm -hmm. thank you and and you know because it's difficult for us to see often the big picture and to see long term you know we we see an effect now or we see one of our own quote unquote failures and we think it is a failure we don't see it as the system rearranging itself that it will you know a year or two down the line you you'll see oh the thing that it seemed that, that i was struggling with is actually now leading to this so some of it is we just have to be patient and move through the change until we can we can uh until that new self you know as rachel said has a chance to to emerge so sometimes it's just really staying with it because we can only see so far. We can only see so far. And so that's one of the, the things about practice is you know, trusting that no matter how much you think you see, there's always more beyond that. Uh, what's it, uh, Thoreau, who's beyond the, the edge of sight or the range of sight, there's always more. For more talks, to get more information about Zvise's upcoming teachings, or to join her email list, please visit vanessasvisegoddard.org.